what shall it profit? If you would build a tower, sit down first and count the cost, to see if you have enough to finish it. The price may be much too high. The chickens got out of the coop and flew away three hundred years ago, said Barwell. Now they're coming home to roost. He hiccoughed. His finger wobbled to the dial and clicked off another whiskey. The machine pondered the matter and flashed in apologetic sign. Please deposit your money. Oh, damn, said Barwell. I'm broke. Radek shrugged and gave the slot a two-credit piece. It slid the whiskey out on a tray with his change. He stuck the coins in his pouch and took another careful sip of beer. Barwell grabbed the whiskey glass like a drowning man. He would drown, thought Radek, if he sloshed much more into his stomach. There was an Asian whine to the music, drifting past the curtains into the booth. Radek could hear the talk and laughter well enough to catch their raucous overtones. Somebody swore as dice rattled wrong for him. Somebody else shouted coarse good wishes as his friends took a hostess upstairs. He wondered why Vice was always so cheerless when he went into a place and paid for it. I am going to get drunk tonight, announced Barwell. I am going to get so high in the stony sky they'll need radar to find me. Then I shall raise the red flag of revolution. And tomorrow? asked Radek quietly. Barwell grimaced. Don't ask me about tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll be among the great leisure class, to hell with euphemisms, the unemployed. Nothing I can do that some goddamn machine can't do quicker and better, so a benevolent state will feed me and clothe me and house me and give me a little spending money to have fun on. This is known as citizen's credit. They used to call it a dole. Tomorrow I shall have to be more systematic about the revolution, join the league or something. The trouble with you, Radek needled him, is that you can't adapt. Technology has made the labor of most people, except the first-rank creative genius, unnecessary. This leaves the majority with a void of years to fill somehow, a sense of uprootedness and lost self-respect, which is rather horrible. And in any case, they don't like to think in scientific terms. It doesn't come natural to the average man. Barwell gave him a bleary stare out of a flushed, sagging face. I suppose you're one of the geniuses, he said. You got work. I'm adaptable, said Radek. He was a slim, youngish man with dark hair and sharp features. I'm not greatly gifted, but I found a niche for myself. Newsman. I do legwork for a major commentator. Between times, I'm writing a book. My own analysis of contemporary historical trends. It won't be anything startling, but it may help a few people think more clearly and adjust themselves. And so you like this rotten solar union? Bowers' tone became aggressive. Not everything about it, no. So there is a wave of anti-scientific reaction all over Earth. Science is being made the scapegoat for all our troubles. But like it or not, you fellows will have to accept the fact that there are too many people and too few resources for us to survive without technology. Some technology, sure, admitted Barwell. He took a ferocious swig from his glass. Not this hell-born stuff we've been monkeying around with. I tell you the chickens have finally come home to roost. Radek was intrigued by the archaic expression. Barwell was no moron. He'd been a correlative clerk at the Institute for several years, not a position for fools. He had read, actually read books, and thought about them. And today, he had been fired. Radek chanced across him drinking out a vast resentment, and attached himself like a reverse lamprey buying most of the liquor. 
There might be a story in it, somewhere. There might be a lead to what the Institute was doing. Radek was not anti-scientific, but neither did he make guards out of people with technical degrees. The Institute must be up to something unpleasant. Otherwise, why all the mystery? If the facts weren't uncovered in time, if whatever they were brewing came to a head, it could touch off the final convulsion of Lynch law. Barwell leaned forward, his finger wagged. Three hundred years now. I think it's three hundred years since X-rays came in. Damn scientists fooling around with X-rays, atomic energy, radioactives, sure, safe levels, established tolerances, but what about the long-range effects? What about cumulative genetic effects? Those chickens are coming home at last. No use blaming our ancestors, said Raddick. Be rather pointless to go dance on their graves, wouldn't it? Barwell moved closer to Raddick. His breath was powerful with whiskey. But are they in those graves, he whispered. Huh? Look, been known for a long time, ever since first atomic energy work, heavy but non-lethal doses of radiation shorten lifespan. You grow old faster if you get a strong dose. Why do you think with all our medicines we're not two, three hundred years old? Background count's gone up, that's why. Radioactives in the air, in the sea, buried under the ground. Gamma rays not entirely absorbed by shielding. Sure, sure, they tell us the level is still harmless, but it's more than the level in nature by good big factor, two or three. Radek sipped his beer. He'd been drinking slowly, and the beer had gotten warmer than he liked, but he needed a clear head. That's common knowledge, he stated. The lifespan hasn't been shortened any either. Because of more medicines, more ways to help cells patch up radiation damage. Oh, but worst radiation sickness been curable for a long time. Barwell waved his hand expansively. They knew even back then, he mumbled. If radiation shortens life, radiation sickness cures ought to prolong it, huh? Reasonable? Only the goddamn scientists, population problem, social status if everybody lived for centuries. Kept it secret, easy to do, change your name, and face over ten, twenty years, keep to yourself, don't make friends among the short-lived. You might see him grow old and die, might start feeling sorry for him, and that would never do, would it? Coldness tingled along Radek's spine. He lifted his mug and pretended to drink. Over the rim, his eyes stared at Barwell. That's why they fired me. I know, I know, I got it. I overheard things. I read Norton on Tenet for me. They fired me. It's one of they didn't murder me. Barwell shuddered and peered at the curtains, as if trying to look through time. Or do you think, maybe? No, said Raddick. I don't. Let's stick to the facts. I take it you found mention of work on, shall we say, increasing the lifespan. Perhaps a mention of successes with rats and guinea pigs, right? So what's wrong with that? They wouldn't want to announce anything till they were sure, or the hysteria. Barwell smiled with an irritating air of omniscience. Marinat, friend, Marinat. Lots more. Well, what? Barwell peered about him with exaggerated caution. One thing I found in files. Plans of whole buildings and grounds. Great big room, lots of room, way, way underground. Secret. Only the kitchen was making food and sending it down there. Human food. Food for people I never saw, people who never came up. Barwell buried his face in his hands. Don't feel so good, whirling. Radek eased his head to the table, out like a spent credit. The newsman left the booth and addressed a bouncer. Chap in there's had it. Uh-huh. Want me to help you get him to your boat? No, I hardly know him. A bell exchanged hands. Put him in your dark room to sleep it off. Give him breakfast with my compliments. 
I'm going out for some fresh air. The wreck house stood on a Minnesota bluff overlooking the Mississippi River. Beyond its racket and multicolored glare, there was darkness and wooded silence. Here and there the lights of a few isolated houses gleamed. The river slid by, talking, ruffled with moonlight. Luna was nearly full, squinting into her cold, ashen face. Radek could just see the tiny spark of a city. Stars were strewn carelessly over heaven. He recognized the ember that was Mars. Perhaps he ought to emigrate. Mars, Venus, even Luna. There was more hope on them than Earth had. No mechanical package to cheer. People had work to do, and in their spare time made their own pleasures. No civilization cracking at the seams because it could not assimilate the technology it must have. Out in space, men knew very well that science had carried them to their homes and made those homes fit to dwell on. Radek strolled across the parking lot and found his airboat. He paused by its iridescent teardrop to start a cigarette. Suppose the Institute of Human Biology was more than it claimed to be, more than a set of homes and laboratories where congenial minds could live and do research. It published discoveries of value, but how much did it not publish? Its personnel kept pretty aloof from the rest of the world, not unnatural in this day of growing estrangement between science and public. But did they have a deeper reason than that? Suppose they did keep immortals in those underground rooms. A scientist was not ordinarily a good political technician, but he might think he could be. He might react emotionally against a public beginning to throw stones at his house and consider taking the reins, for the people's own good, of course. A lot of misery had been caused to the human race for its own alleged good. Or if the scientist knew how to live forever, he might not think Jill Smith or Carlos Ibanez or Huang Yuan or Johannes Umfanduma good enough to share immortality with him. Radek took a long breath. The night air felt fresh and alive in his lungs after the tavern staleness. He was not currently married, but there was a girl with whom he was thinking seriously of making a permanent contract. He had friends, not loosened razor minds, but decent, unassuming, kindly people, brave with man's old, quiet bravery in the face of death and ruin and the petty tragedies of every day. He liked beer and steaks, fishing and tennis, good music and a good book, and the exhilarating strain of his work. He liked to live. Maybe a system for becoming immortal, or at least living many centuries, was not desirable for the race, but only the whole race had authority to make that decision. Radek smiled at himself, twistedly, and threw the cigarette away and got into the boat. Its engine murmured, sucking cast power. The riding lights snapped on automatically, and he lifted into the sky. It was not much of a lead he had, but it was as good as he was ever likely to get. He set the autopilot for southwest Colorado and opened the jets wide. The night whistled darkly around his cabin. Against one stars, he made out the lamps of other boats flitting across the world and somehow intensifying the loneliness. Work to do. He called the main office and Dallas unit and taped a statement of what he knew and what he planned. Then he dialed the nearest library and asked the robot for information on the Institute of Human Biology. There wasn't a great deal of value to him. It had been in existence for about 250 years, more or less concurrently with the Psychotechnic Institute, and for quite a while affiliated with that organization. During the humanist troubles, when the psychotechs were booted out of government on Earth and their files ransacked, 
it had disassociated itself from them and carried on unobtrusively how much of their secret records had been taken along. Since the restoration, it had grown, drawing on many prominent researchers and making discoveries of high value to medicine and bioengineering. The current director was Dr. Marcus Lang, formerly of New Harvard, the University of Lunar, and, no matter, had been running the show for eight years, after his predecessor's death. Or had Tokugama really died? He couldn't be identical with Lang. He'd been a short Japanese, and Lang was a tall Negro, too big a jump for any surgeon, not to mention their simultaneous careers. But how far back could you trace Lang before he became fakeable records of birth and schooling? What young fellow named Yamatsu or Hideki was now polishing glass in the labs and slated to become the next director? How fantastic could he get on how little evidence? Radek let the text fade from the screen and sat puffing another cigarette. It was a while before he demanded references on the biology of the aging process. That was tough sledding. He couldn't follow the mathematics or the chemistry very far. No good popularizations were available. But a newsman got an ability to winnow what he learned. Radek didn't have to take notes. He'd been through a mind training course. After an hour or so, he sat back and reviewed what he'd gotten. The living organism was a small island of low entropy in a universe tending constantly toward gigantic disorder. It maintained itself through an intricate set of hemostatic mechanisms. The serious disruption of any of these brought the life processes to a halt. Shock, disease, the bullet in the lungs, or the axe in the brain. Death. But hundreds of thousands of autopsies had never given an honest verdict of death from old age. It was always something else, cancer, heart failure, sickness, stroke. Age was at most a contributing cause, decreasing resistance to injury and power to recover from it. One by one, the individual causes had been licked. Bacteria and protozoa and viruses were slaughtered in the body. Cancers were selectively poisoned. Cholesterol was dissolved out of the arteries. Surgery patched up damaged organs, and the new regeneration techniques replaced what had been lost, even nervous tissue. Offhand, there was no more reason to die unless he met murder or an accident. But people still grew old. The process wasn't as hideous as it had been. You needn't shuffle in arthritic feebleness. Your mind was clear, your skin wrinkled slowly. Centenarians were not uncommon these days, but very few reached 150. Nobody reached two hundred. Imperceptibly, the fires burned low. Vitality was diminished. Strength faded. Hair whitened. Eyes dimmed. The body responded less and less well to regenerative treatment. Finally, it did not respond at all. You got so weak that some small thing you and your doctor could have laughed at in your youth took you away. You still grew old, and because you grew old, you still died. The unicellular organism did not age, but age was a meaningless word in that particular case. A man could be immortal via his germ cells. The microorganism could too, but it gave the only cell it had. Personal immortality was denied to both man and microbe. Could sheer mechanical wear and tear be the reason for the decline known as old age? Probably not. The natural Regenerative powers of life were better than that, and observations made in freefall where strain was minimized, 
indicated that white null gravity had an alleviating effect and was no key to living forever. Something in the chemistry and physics of the cells themselves, then. They did tend to accumulate heavy water. That had been known for a long time. Hard to see how that could kill you. The percentage increase in a lifetime was so small. It might be a partial answer. You might grow old more slowly if you drank only water made of pure isotopes, but you wouldn't be immortal. Radek shrugged. He was getting near the end of his trip. Let the Institute people answer his questions. The Four Corners country is so named because four of the old American states met there, back when they were still significant political units. For a while in the 20th century, it was overrun with uranium hunters who made small impressions on its tilted emptiness. It was still a favorite vacation area, and the resorts were lost in that great huddle of mountains and desert. You did have a lot of privacy here. Gliding down of the moon-ghostly Pueblo ruins of Mesa Verde, Radek peered through the windscreen. There ahead, lights glowed around the walls, spread across half a mesa. Inside them was a parkscape of trees, lawns, gardens, arbors, cottage units. The institute housed its people well. There were four large buildings at the center, and Radek noted gratefully that several windows were still shining in them. Not that he had any compunctions about getting the great Dr. Lang out of bed, but he ignored the public landing field outside the walls and set his boat down in the paved courtyard. As he climbed out, half a dozen guards came running. They were husky men in blue uniforms, armed with stunners, and the dim light showed faces hinting they wouldn't be sorry to feed him a beam. Radek dropped to the ground, folded his arms, and waited. The breath from his nose was frosty under the moon. What the hell do you want? The nearest guard pulled up in front of him and laid a hand on his shotgun. Who the devil are you? Don't you know this is private property? What's the big idea, anyway? Take it easy, advised Radek. I have to see Dr. Lang at once. Emergency. You didn't call for an appointment, did you? No, I didn't. All right. I didn't think he'd care to have me give my reasons over a radio. This is confidential and urgent. The men hesitated, uncertain before such an outrageous violation of all civilized canons. I don't know, friend, is busy. If you want to see Dr. McCormick... Dr. Lang, ask him if I may. Tell him I have news about his longevity process. As what? Radek spelled it out and watched the man go. Another one made some ungracious remark and frisked him with needless ostentation. A third was more urbane. Sorry to know this, but you understand we've got important work going on. Can't have anybody busting in. Sure, that's all right. Radek shivered in the thin chill air and pulled his cloak tighter about him. Viruses and stuff around. If any of that got loose, you understand? Well, it wasn't a bad cover-up. None of these fellows looked very bright. IQ treatments could do only so much. Thereafter, you got down to the limitations of basic and unalterable brain microstructure. And even among the more intellectual workers, how many Barwells were there, handling semi-routine tasks, but not permitted to know what really went on under their feet? Radek had a brief, irrational wish that he'd worn boots instead of sandal. The first guard returned. He'll see you, he grunted, and you better make her good because he's one mad doctor. Radek nodded and followed two of the men. The nearest of the large square buildings seemed given over to offices. He was led inside, down a short length of glow-lit corridor, and halted while the scanner on a door marked Lang Director observed him. 
His clean bus, said one of the escort. All right, said the annunciator. Let him in, but you two just stay outside. 